don't take this moment very lightly. I am incredibly excited to, to bring this word to you uh, today. There has been an incredible work being done on me after having my children. So as many of you may know, I, ha I now have three kids uh, that are under four years old. And so sleeping is not like a, it doesn't exist. <laughs> And so my, my wonderful wife, Jamie, she, she wears the brunt of it. Uh, she does an incredible job running our house, leading our house, uh, taking care of all of our kids while I can focus on our business and the rest of everything else. And so big shout out to her. But we have been in war lately. It is like, man, you want to talk about negotiating with terrorists? Try talking to two-year-olds that haven't <laughs> eaten or slept or don't know what you what they want. It's it's cra it's crazy out there in the streets. It's wild. So, so if any of you guys are looking at like, hey, I'm a, I'm thinking about being a dad, thinking about being a mom, get your sleep now. Relax, hang out because it doesn't it doesn't get better. I've heard. I've talked to people like Joe and Willie. I'm like, hey, when do you when do you sleep? They're like, what is that? I lost that a long time ago, uh, and so. I am, I, God has been doing an incredible work, I think, in me, uh, in our family at this time, because what it's done is it's opened up my view of how God sees us, because for the longest time, I could only imagine God as this, you know, uh, this is this is pre becoming a pastor, but he was just this nameless, faceless being just out there doing stuff, and so it was very hard for me to understand the, the principles and the teachings and the directives that are found in the Bible. And so once I became a father, what I have found is that I can now see the principles that God has been trying to work in me, but up until this moment, I couldn't figure that out. And so a lot of times, he'll show me things by my reaction. So a lot of times in our house, the kids will be going crazy and going wild, and all of a sudden, I got to bring dad voice out, right? And so I got to, I got to, I got to take care of this. This is it's going going chaotic. So we got to step in and we got to say something. And so I will say something, and immediately when I say it, I'm like, that was bad. <laughs> I was like, I didn't handle it the right way. That wasn't that wasn't the way we should have done it. But at that moment. God reveals to me, he's like, hey, this is what's going on in your life. Here's what you have with going on with the kids. The principle that you're trying to convey here incorrectly with anger is the principle I've been trying to sow into your heart for the last eight years. And so every single day, God reveals something new to me. Uh, about being a father, about being a dad, about being a, a husband, about being a man in society, about being a person created in this crazy, chaotic, crazy life that we live called today, where we have war, we have destruction, we have possible World War III, we have possible Jesus coming back, we have all these crazy things that are existing in this world, and everybody's like, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I'm like, God has created us for such a time as this. He's created you and me to deal with this problem. And so today, I feel like he has sowed a word into my heart that is going to move us as a body of believers to take this 
out into the world. Because Pastor Jasmine and all, all of our pastors have elo eloquently spoken this, that the church, the original design for it, you hear this all the time, is that church should be a hospital. Church is a hospital, right? You should take care of the sick and the needy. And I think there is a space for that, but originally the design of the church is to empower and equip the believers so that you could take what is taught in here, a, a doctrine with meat on it, something with some substance on it, something that might scare kind of a new believer and you can take that and explain it to a believer in a way that is tangible that is easy for them to digest based on the timing of their life of where they are in their faith walk but that is up to you it says clearly in the bible that once you put your hand up you you declare with your mouth believe in your heart that he is lord and savior of his life that you that's not just for you it says that you are now a royal priesthood that your job your role is the same as this role here so when you go out into the world it is your job to take this everywhere you go and maybe not speaking the exact scriptures over every person's lives but the principles they better be evident in your life they better be they better fill your speech people should know that you are a believer without ever having to say anything that is in this book just by the way that you carry yourself when i walk into a room i think people should have the interpretation of me that they're like i don't know exactly what's going on with that guy but he's excited he's pumped he's living a very high level of life and i want something to do with that whatever it is i need that and you saw that from the disciples you saw that from Jesus' teaching. You saw that from, they don't, they're like, I don't know who this crazy guy is with the long hair, but when he speaks, man, that is truth. Uh, something about what he is calling to my life speaks to me. It speaks to the void that I feel inside of me. And that's where your job is. You speak to the void that are, is living in people's lives out in the world, whether it's your workplace, your schools, your jobs, your family. That is your job. You are a royal priesthood. And so what I'm going to go over here is, is, is we're going to continue on our talk about Colossians. But this piece here was, I'm just going to say, it was very hard for me. I wrestled with this for a long time. This was, this was one of the hardest sermons I've ever had to put together because I didn't want to get it wrong. I didn't want to, I didn't want to e explain this in an incorrect way. And so, a lot of being a father and being a husband is being able to take something and lead people in a certain direction, right? It is your job as the husband, as the father of the house, to be connected to God. I think, it, I think it, you know, it, to put it very plainly, I think as a, as a father or a husband, you should be the first person up in your house. You should be up you should be walking around, you should be in prayer, you should be reading your Bible, you should be speaking goodness, kindness, faithfulness over your children, you should be speaking protection over your wife, you should be speaking protection over your home, you should be speaking this all into existence before the day begins, because as a man you set the tone, you carry the weight and the responsibility that God has given to you. 
And so at, at this point, I understand that that is my role to be connected to God in such a way that I can hear him clearly and explain it to my children and my wife that this is the way we need to go. This is the way that God is, is leading us. And I need you to help me figure this out. need you to help me move this forward in our lives and in the lives of the people that are connected to us. And so this word here is one of those words where I'm like, okay, God, I am hearing you. Please don't let me blow this. Please don't let me mess this up because I want to deliver this in a way in which you've designed it to be because I don't want to lead people's lives astray. Okay? So what... Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a story of like, let's see, three days ago. I'm, I'm in the backyard. I'm with the kids. We are playing baseball. My kids are this big. They're tiny. Um, and so they're figuring out how to hit the ball and everything. And so I'm throwing it back and forth. There's one kid over here, one kid over here. They both have a bat in their hands. Super dangerous. And so I'm, I'm like, okay, Bray, that's our, first, our oldest kid. I'm like, your turn. So I throw it to him. He hits the ball or misses it usually it's it. he's actually pretty good and then i've got luca over here he is my tasmanian devil he is uh he is he is built to be a stunt man that dude is crazy he's already been to the er once he's like bangs his head on the wall for fun super cool um but i'm i'm throwing him the ball so i'm like i'm gonna go one to you bray and one to you luca and they're having a good time right? They're going back and forth. They're playing. They're learning. They're discovering how this whole thing works. And then all of a sudden, Bray comes in and he says, Dad, you're actually supposed to go two to me, one to Luca, right? So I go two, one, two. And then you can see Luca gets pretty angry. And so I go back to him and he's good. But then Bray's like, no, we got to do two again. So we go two to this side and then we go one back to Luca. And obviously you can see how this plays out that one is a little bit mad that the other is getting more than him, right? And so what I have to explain here is that I can start to see the tears happening, and I go, Bray, that's not the way that this is designed. That's not the way that I made it up, right? That we're going to go one and one, so every person gets a turn. Now, once I enabled the rules of the original design, one and one, now Bray is crying right? So you can see what it's like in our house. <laughs> so I am trying to negotiate with these little terrorists and trying to figure out what's going on here. And God hits me in this moment that I'm like, oh my goodness, God, thank you, right? And that's the way that it usually works, is that in the smallest of moments, something will click for me that I'm like, oh my goodness, God, you've been trying to teach me this for like six years, and I've just been messing it up like a dummy, right? And so what, what's happening here is he's saying, you've departed from the original rules. You've departed from the original way in which I designed this thing, and you've created and made your own set of rules to make you feel happy, to make you feel okay. And then once somebody comes in to change that, you lose your mind, right? You're like, that's not the way it is. That's not the way that it goes. And so in your head right now, I'm sure you can start to put together where I'm getting at, is that 
in our lives, we have that same thing where we have strayed for our own personal benefit to creating and making a certain subsect of rules, policies, programs for us to benefit so that we could be happy or so that we could feel more fulfilled or that we could feel more spiritual. And so what I want to step into here is a word that I received the other day, and I, I wrote it like this originally, and then this morning God said, erase that. That's totally, it, it's not that it's inaccurate, it just doesn't drive it home. And so what I originally wrote was it said, wrong doctrine leads to wrong living, and right doctrine leads to right living. And I had it written like that, and I'm like, okay, cool, illiteracy. Everybody likes illiteracy. It makes you sound smart. And God's like, I don't want you to sound smart. I want you to be correct. And so I wrote this down this morning, that wrong doctrine leads to slavery. Right doctrine leads to freedom. And that's the point in which we're going to talk about today, is that we are going to talk about this topic of freedom, the freedom in which you long for. The freedom that every person desires, but can't seem to grasp. And so through this, I'm like, God, that's pretty strong. He's like, I need you to be strong. This needs to be made apparent. I want these words to be very, very fulfilling to what I'm trying to explain to everybody here. And so we have these two things. Wrong doctrine, slavery. Right doctrine, freedom. And so what is that? What does that mean? Where, where, where does that, where, you know, what kind of connection does that make, right? And this is where I'm confronted at this moment because just like a father, I'm trying to explain things in a way that's not destructive, but in a way that causes you to turn, okay? Not every single time that my kid overreacts about losing a, a toy or losing a game or whatever should result in me like screaming or you know taking all the toys away or something something of the kind right but i also need to make it clear that those principles in which you are engaging in aren't the correct ones right and so what you'll find is you find somebody like paul who has spilled through all of these epistles all of these different ways in which people are missing the point but the really incredible thing is the way that he explains them. And so what we've been touching on for the last few weeks going over Colossians is I'm going to, I'm going to give you guys kind of like an overview of what's, what's happening and what's going on in Colossians. Is that the doctrine that is being put out there is Christ's preeminence or basically his, uh, his ability to be above all. Preeminence is just that word of saying that he is greater than everything. So it, preeminence is a stronger word for that, so that's why it's in there. So it says, Christ's preeminence is declared in chapter 1 of Colossians. And what we've been going over is it, it's, it's declared in the gospel message itself, in redemption, in creation, and in church. So Paul, the writer of Colossians, is talking about this, right? He's going over all of these things. And then what he's doing now is he's leading us into what I'm about to talk to today. The, his doctrine, the Christ preeminence, is now declared in this moment. It's declared. And, or, I'm sorry. It's, uh, I'm, why is it? 
Christ's preeminence is defended. So we go from de declaration of what it is, right, to defense of Christ's preeminence. And what's happening here is he's saying, beware of empty philosophies, beware of religious legalism, and beware of man-made disciplines, okay? So I want you to hold on to this slide here, because we're going to be coming back to it. We're going to be talking about what's going on with this empty philosophy, these religious legalism and man-made disciplines, okay? And I want you to kind of just keep that pinned to the back of your mind there. And then what we're going to move into later on is going to be Christ's preeminence, preeminence demonstrated. And so it's chapters 3 and 4. He's talking about personal purity, Christian fellowship, in the, what it looks like in the home, and what it looks like during your daily work, okay? So... We've got those three sections there. We're going to be dealing with the danger that, that Paul is warning us about, okay? And so, this is going to be a heavier section right here. So, if you don't grasp all of it, don't be, don't be ashamed, don't be mad or whatever, right? I'm going to explain it as best I can, but this is going to be generally moved towards those that have been in the faith a little bit longer, but there's principles from it that I need you to hear, okay? So, within, within the Bible, okay, and within Paul's writing, Paul writes these seven letters, okay? Now, missing from this is going to be a couple, okay? You got Titus, you've got uh, Philemon, and then you've got First and Second Timothy, Okay? on the left-hand side. So that's missing over here. But if you take a look at his letters, all of these letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Corinthians, Galatians, Romans, Thessalonians, Colossians, those are all churches. The remaining ones that I said that are off this list, those are people. Okay? He's writing to church leaders. He's instructing them. He's leading them. Okay? And so you've got these over here on the left-hand side that he's writing to the churches. Okay? Now, but what's happening is that this, this is what's really incredible about the Bible is that the, the duplication of the Holy Spirit of, of, of topics, of core lessons, of principles, of teaching, there's so much repeated in different ways and different forms, okay? And so what we find is if you turned your Bible to the first few chapters of Revelation, you will see that Jesus, via an angel, instructs John of Patmos that he is to write these letters to these churches which are listed on this side, okay? So he's got Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, okay? So he's got those. Now, the interesting thing here is you can start to put together based on this graph is that the churches and their generalized message are intertwined, okay? What one is writing about, the other is mirroring, okay? So, via the Holy Spirit, these two things line up. And so, you'll see the first one. You've got Ephesus, obviously, associated with Ephesians. And there is a core principle or teaching or instruction that is happening to each of these. You can see the apostolic church, the persecuted church, the married church, the medieval church, the denominational church, the missionary church, and the apostate church. And what I believe is happening here is God is giving us a timeline, right? Is that he has been going through these different 
changes in the church of the world, the church as a whole, the church as one unit, right? And what I do believe is that we are here at the circled one, at the apostate church, okay? Now, this is the apostate church. Now, those are going to be Colossians and Laodicea, okay? So, hold on to the word apostate, because I had to look it up as well. So, hold on to that, hang out for a second. But what I want to point out is that the church of Colossae and the church of Laodicea, they are located in the same valley, okay? Uh, pa uh, Pastor Chris has talked on this, uh, Pastor Jasmine has talked on this, that this area locates three separate entities of the church. So you've, so you've got, you've got three, three big cities, basically. And you can look at it, if you're here, it looks like a Reno, Sparks, Carson City. Okay, they're located about that far apart from each other. They're all located in the same kind of valley, and they're all very closely related to each other as far as, uh, as, far as in the natural, but also in, in the spirit. They, they all mirror the same thing here. Okay? So uh, what you'll find is you have, uh, you, you have uh, Laodicea in the middle, you have Colossae over here, and then you have the other one up top. Okay? And so what's happening here is that these two are basically getting the same message from the Holy Spirit, that they are the apostate is this definition here. An apostate church does not deal with the topic of sin. Okay? Rather, its message is primarily focused upon the acceptance of social norms rather than the truths found in Scripture. Now, does that sound like any church you know of? Okay. Now, I'm not somebody to talk poorly behind anybody's back, so I'm not going to do it, but you can see that this happens, correct? Okay? The apostate church is a church that does not deal with the topic of sin. It is a message primarily focused upon the acceptance of social norms and what is cool to the culture at that time. And now, you can probably guess where I'm going here. You can see that in t t today's society that the church has not dealt with this topic of sin very accurately, and what's happening is you'll see that the world is more influential than the church, which is the exact opposite of the way that it should be. And so you run into an issue here that's identified via the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what, I'm, what I want to do, now that you've got this definition of apostate, is I want to read you the, the revelation from the angel to John about the church in Laodicea. So hang with me. It's going to be, we're going to read more than one verse. I'm sorry. Okay. So it says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness. The ruler of God's creation, I know your deeds, if you, uh, that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I wish you were either one or the other, so that be, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Very colorful language, language that you don't necessarily normally see in the Bible. And in some translations, it says he's, he's about to throw up. He's so sick of them being wishy-washy, about them not be, taking a hard stance on this or that, about being influenced in the world on every single thing that happens and being and saying, and the world comes to them and say, hey, we're dealing with this problem, make a new set of rules and put it in your pulpit, right? That's what's happening here. And so you can start to see, listen to the tone of voice here. As, as this letter progresses, you can feel like, like you ever been in trouble with your dad? And he starts out calm, and you can tell it just starts getting, like, like he starts remembering more and more and more, and it starts getting stronger and stronger, right? Th this is what's happening here. The father is speaking correction here. And he says, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Dang. He's coming. He's coming for him, right? And he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, okay? So you can become rich and white clothes to wear shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. And this is where, this is where, this is where it really, I really want you to pay attention. This is where it really gets driven home. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Okay, so that's why he's, he's setting the tone here. Saying, he's saying, it's not that I don't love you. That's not why I'm getting angry. It's not why I'm mad about your, your behavior, right? He's saying that I love you so much that I can't allow you to continue in this way because I know how this plays out. I know that it ends in tears. I know that this ends bad for you. So what I'm going to do is save you that ultimate pain by giving you this current pain, okay? And so he says, so uh, he said... Those who, who I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. And you, this is where you could, I feel like if I, was, if, I, if I was there, like seeing this, I feel like he'd be screaming this. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, now when I read that last part, I got, I got goosebumps, because... Uh, a while back, I gave a, a sermon um, one time that uh, it was the first time and only time that I've like audibly heard God. And it was in like a, I don't know, I feel like, I felt like it was a dream, but it wasn't a dream. I was awake. Um, and, he, and, and the thing that he said was those that have, he pointed me to Luke 8, 8, um, but it, it, it has the same thing. It says, let those that have ears, let them hear. Right, but he's at that moment he was talking about a parable of seed being thrown on the ground. Right in this in this portion he's talking about uh, about the church. Right, and so when I heard that, I it, to me that was God saying, "Nico, wake up! I need you to hear this. Okay, and I need you to deliver this." 
right? And so that's where I'm like, okay, we need to know this as a church body because God is teaching something here about the current state of the churches that we are apostate, that we have allowed sin to come into this church. We have allowed the outside world to come in and change the way that we do things, the way that we believe, the way that we speak about stuff. We have let the world determine the way that we should believe so that we don't offend people, so that we don't get in the way of people, so that we don't cause people to not like us, that we have put, put our pla- our, ourselves in a place where we think more of the opinion of others than we do of the creator of all things. And so that's where I'm at here that God is like, I, because I, I, I wrestled with this. I was like, God, I don't, I, you guys know me. I don't like to preach heaviness. I don't like to come hard at people because I do understand and know the background of people who have never been in the faith. I was one of those people. I didn't know God, didn't, didn't love God, didn't want to be a part of God, right? But I see that now, and I'm like, I love you too much to continue to let you. So in this piece here, you see that the same message that is going to Laodicea and Colossians, they are for the same people, which I also believe is us in current day. Now, so you'll see at the end of Colossians that Paul says that take this letter after it's been read to your church, and swap it with those guys in Laodicea, okay? He says that. So that's where you can see that the two are made for each other, okay? The, this is the same message to, this, to two separate churches, but it's, they're doing the same things, and it's us that he's speaking to in this current moment, right? It is us. He is talking about this concept that we, have, we do not deal with the topic of sin because we're afraid of it. We're scared of confrontation. As a church, we are so afraid to ruffle somebody's feathers, to talk about God openly, to say that Jesus Christ has helped my life. How many times have you sat in work and dealt with somebody who was a non-believer and you're like, man, if that person could just get Jesus in their life. If they would just, like, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, God, come into their life like never before. God, do a new work in them. God, help them to, to see your, your greatness, your glory, your mercy, right? And God's like, okay, th- that's fine. But the prayer time is over. I put you right next to this guy. You're in the next office over. I want you to talk to him. Okay? And so what I want us to do from this message here is I want us to be filled. I want us to be, uh, I want us to be strong. I want us to be able to be bold enough to say things to people that affect their eternity. Right? I do not wish any poor thing to come on any person in this world because I know that God does not want that. He wishes for no man to falter. He f- wishes for all people to be accepted into his kingdom. That's the love of the Father. The love of the Father sees a space for every person, but he puts it on us. He puts it on you. He puts it on our ability to speak about the complexities of this world of this word and talk to the people of the world right now does that mean i'm gonna come in guns blazing speaking in the spirit like just going nuts at my work no no i'm not gonna do that because 
that's going to freak people out, right? And, th- and there is a space for that. But what I want you guys to see is the template in which Paul writes his letters, okay? So watch. I'm going to go back up to what we, were, what we were talking about, the outline of Colossians, and I want you to read this again, okay? So you've got chapter 1, right? What he's doing here, and he is, he's, he's speaking about the doctrine and declaring it, okay? Because Paul knows this, that the church at Colossae and Laodicea, okay, they have brought in some weird rules. They're talking about some weird stuff. They've got Jewish legalism. They've got all of the, the you know, they've got new moon festivals. They've got all this crazy stuff happening. And Paul comes in here and he says, okay, first what I'm going to do is I'm going to just talk about God and his principles, his doctrine, everything that is correct. So it's obviously it's everything that's different from what the way that they're doing it but he's just going to say i identify with the truth here okay then he sneaks in a warning right he's saying if you continue in this way empty philosophies religious legalism man-made disciplines you're going to run into some issues okay and then he follows up with this third piece here that he is speaking how to demonstrate it in their lives and to those in their home, in their work. And so he talks about personal purity, Christian fellowship, how it looks like in the home, what it looks like at work, right? And that's the template in which we should take, okay? And so it looks, it looks like this. I have my best friend Joe here, never sinned a day in his life, right, Joe? Okay, so Joe... Joe, theoretical Joe, has not been doing good. He's just, he's just sinning like crazy. He's in the club every night, just fist pumping it up. Just got his hair blown out, looks nice, gold chains for days, right? And I come in as a believer and somebody who identifies that his life is not going in the right direction. Now, because I have such great love in, for Joe, I'm not going to continue to let him do that. But I'm also not going to be like, hey, knock that off, right? Because that's, that's going to drive people further. That pushes them further in, right? So what I want to do is I want to speak the truth over his life, right? And I want to say, hey, Joe, I love, I love who you are. I love exactly how God created you, that you're a social being, that you're out there influencing people, that you understand how to move a crowd, that you understand how to move these things, but, I, but here's the warning that I have for you, that if you continue in this route, I know from personal ways that it doesn't end well, that it just ends in emptiness, that you just end unfulfilled, that you may have 13 honeys behind you, but you're going to go to bed tired, lonely, sorry every single night, right? And so I speak that danger in there, and then I say, now, you want to know what that looks like? Come and follow me, right? Invite them to your house. Invite them to a dinner. Talk to them, you know, talk to them about, you know, everything that God has said over their lives, and also show them the way that you do things in your family, right? How, this is how we eat dinner. This is how I talk to my, my children. This is how I talk to my wife. This is how I invite people into my home. This is how I live life. And, you, and they'll start to put it together. They're like, okay, this dude does it this way. His life looks pretty good. Looks pretty decent, right? And so what you'll see is 
the concept that you, that you saw in the Bible of putting down something that is lesser to pick up something that is greater, right? You see that all throughout the Bible, that, that somebody is called or commissioned, and what they are currently doing, they're like, I don't need this anymore because this is lame. I want that, right? And so you'll see that with, you know, Jesus calling the fishermen. They got their nets in the hand, and he's like, come and follow me. And they're like, okay, right? I'm, I'm going, right? And so that's, that's the template in which we should talk to people and lead people and guide people. And so that's, that's, that's what's going, going on here. Now, what I want to show you guys is the state of the Colossians the way in which their lives were. And it's all based on location, for lack of a better term, okay? So, like I said, Colossians, Laodicea, Heropolis, they're all located in a little valley, right? But Colossae is, happens to be positioned in a way that almost like Reno is, that it's on a major, a major freeway system that connects the multitudes of the world, right? This narrow gate is the way in which every person from Europe, Africa, is accessing Asia, right? And so through this small, narrow place, you find multitudes of people, beliefs, ideations, philosophies, all meeting with each other, right? And because it's been spelled out by the Holy Spirit that these guys don't take a hard stance on anything, that they're lukewarm— these new philosophies come in, these new ways of thinking, um, you know, you got a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and they're like, that sounds pretty good. You know, I don't really know too much about the Bible, but that sounds like the Bible, right? I don't know about Christ suffering for me, but, th but that, that sounds okay. We'll throw that in there. And what you find is they start to piece together their own kind of belief system. And what you'll find is that in, you know, many years after this, it's more established, but the beginnings of it happen here, and it's the, the, the philosophy of Gnosticism. It's, it's, this, it's this belief that, that, uh, that you could basically, uh, that, you, that you could, you could achieve salvation via an awakening, right? That you could open, that, that, that your, your mind would all of a sudden just be opened to the, 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 the knowledge of this world, the knowledge of, of, of the depths of, of, of abyss, of nothingness, right? They believe that God was uh, this being that actually didn't control anything in the world. They thought that matter itself, like a, like a chair or like a rock, could be evil, right? And that God didn't operate over the earth, that, but he was just like this, this far-out deity that just hung out there, made his own rules. He could be, he could be angry. He could be sad. He could, he, could do, he could do bad things. He could do good things. You just never knew what, what he was capable of. And so that's the belief system that kind of starts to get chiseled away here is that they are in this state of what I was talking about in chapter 2 that they are creating these empty philosophies the religious legalism uh, that they're creating rules that you'd see like like um, like like in certain Jewish subsects that you know you can only eat certain types of food your whole kitchen's got to be like totally separate you know the bowls the the fridge can't hold certain things you can't make certain things on certain days can't ride in an elevator on a certain day um, 
Um, you know, you have all these man-made disciplines, right? Things that you would see that, you know, in today's world, you would see maybe as like, like yoga, that you are emptying your mind, you're posturing your, your body in a way that, that, that aligns itself with the universe so that you could be open to all the, the complexities of the world, right? And so that's what we see here. And so I alluded to some of these, but what, what do we see in current day that would mirror these things, right? You have empty philosophies. You have all these philosophies that are created and just pulled out of thin air, it seems like, that they're not based on Scripture. They're not based on any merit for the most part. They just sound good, right? You hear this all the time, and it's crazy to me. And so what I believe, like, here's a great way to see it. Okay, is that a lot of people talk about this in current days from like the standpoint of like, um, you know, influencing people from like a marketing perspective. I work in business, so this is something I talk about all the time, is that you have people with the use of their phone that they create what are called echo chambers, right? That through their liking, unliking, following and unfollowing, that they have created their own little bubble, right? Their own little circle of belief based around all the influencer-type people that they like and adore and want to buy stuff from, right? And so you've created this echo chamber. And what it is, is it's what is in here put into your phone, okay? It's what you desire, it's what you want, and without it being unrefined by the Word of God, it's allowed to just go wild, and you start to find yourself following people that you agree with. Okay, and you'll see this a lot. And you see it with, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be the phone. You see this in news all the time. I talked to um, an, older, an older group of people. They were in their 70s, 80s. They didn't really use social media. But you find it because they, they would start talking about CNN or Fox or whatever. And they, they created their own little subsect of rules and uh, accountability. And anything that violated that was as, you know, Ricky Bobby, or uh, <laughs> what's his name, uh, Adam Sandler said in The Water Boy, his mom said, that's the devil, right? Anything that was outside of that, that's the devil, <laughs> right? Uh, because you've created, you've created your own little belief system, right? And how I, how I know that this happens is I started talking about this, and I can feel that somebody got mad. <laughs> I can feel that somebody got a little tight. Because I started talking about politics in church, right? Okay, and I put, I, I touched it, right? And that's how you know it's there. That's how you know that it, that there's a problem with it, right? Politics shouldn't rule your life. This should, okay? I want you to know that because if you look at it, and this is my personal opinion, okay? So hang, hang on with me. But you have the right, the left, the middle, whatever, right? They're all fighting with each other. I don't see anywhere in this that says we should be fighting with each other, right? I don't see anything that says we shouldn't love our neighbor like ourselves, right? I, but when I look at the world, they believe that, I hate them. They believe that, I hate them. They believe this, I hate them, right? That's not, that's not this. This should rule your life. Okay, so we have this concept of Gnosticism that is running rampant in the church of Colossae, right? And you'll see that this scripture here addresses what's going on here. And it says, see to it that no one takes you captive 
through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces. Keep, keep that in your mind. Elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Okay? Elemental spiritual forces. Where do we see that? It is spelt out here. In 1 Timothy 4.1, it says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly in the last times on that list of churches. You remember which one was the last ones? Those ones. Okay? Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly in the last times, some will turn away from true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Other translations put it the best way possible. I want you to write this down if you're writing notes. It says the doctrine of demons. Okay? So, I want you to read this again because it's this, this needs to get in your head. Now the Holy Spirit tells me clearly that in the last times, what times? Last times. Some will turn away from true faith. Okay? We saw this. During COVID, we saw this, that people had built themselves on, 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 on platforms, on, on, uh, on, on belief systems that weren't true. They weren't rooted in true faith. They weren't rooted in true principles. And so when something came and challenged that, they ran away, right? And they followed deceptive spirits. You look at this in modern day culture, you'll see that the, you know, the, the spirit of anger, the spirit of, of, of fleeing, fleeing your marriage, the spirit of, uh, of addiction, the spirit of abortion, all these spirits, they are deceptive. They sound good when they're read out loud by the media because every group of your friends believes the same way and you don't want to believe against them. So it starts to integrate your heart and you start to take that and move it into your life as your true belief system. But now it is just taking you off course. So you've got deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Demons are real. The devil is real. The, the, the darkness that is spoken about in the Bible is real, and the church does not talk about it enough. I'm not saying this church. I'm talking about the church as a whole does not address it, does not talk about it, that you could possibly spend the rest of your eternity in a fire and brimstone scenario filled with gnashing of teeth, that these things are a real deal possibility. And yet, us as a church, I'm just going to come in, hang out, sit in my seat on a Sunday morning, praise and worship's going to be happening. I'm not going to raise my hand because that looks lame, right? That's, that's soft. It's like, I, I always, I love, I love to address the heart of a man, okay, because I am a man. I understand this. I, I've been there. And it's like, I don't want to come into church and pray. I don't need nobody. I don't have to have that. I'm a self-made man. I could do it all myself. Everything I got is from me, from grinding, from working, from, from tireless effort, right? And that's the way that a man's mind thinks, right? When we get challenged, we're like, I'm just going to tighten up the belt. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to make this work, right? But, it, but as we saw, I believe it was Pastor Jesus talked on this piece, uh, Psalm 127. We're talking about if, if God is not in it, right, the laborers labor in vain right? Everything that you do is for no purpose at all. And I will even say that when you are in that life, you land more in like the Ecclesiastes part of things where you are, you are the sinner gathering up funds and property and gold and valuables just to give it over to those that believe. Your whole life 
is designed around creating, building, and amassing this fortune so that you can hand it over to somebody who loves God, right? And so that's where you are at as a man, that you are in this point where you have been deceived by hustle culture. You have been deceived by the world saying the only way to be successful is to work seven days a week, 16 hours a day, don't talk to your wife, don't talk to your kids, you should be on your phone, on the phone, online, all day long, repping your business and driving it home every single day. And if you're not successful, it's because you're not working hard enough. That is a deceptive spirit. God works for six days, takes one day off, right? Okay? In no place in the Bible does it say Jesus ran hurriedly from thing to thing. He was always on his phone and saying, hold on, one minute, one minute, or jumping on a Zoom call. It was never that. He was on his way with purpose and addressed things as they happened. Okay? And so this is what I need you to Realize, and men, I'm speaking to men especially because you, 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 you carry so much. You are, in, I'm just gonna, don't hate me for this. Men of today's church, you're incredibly weak. And I hate saying that because I'm also locked into that. Incredibly weak. When everything's, when any, whenever something gets hard, you run. Whenever, and whenever something gets tough, you forget how to pray. Whenever, whenever something happens in your life that you can't seem to wrap your mind around, you start to blame everybody else. You start to put, you start to put it on the shoulders of your wife. You start to put it on the shoulders of your kids. You start to say that it's because of my church that we are not progressing. It's because of the leaders of the church that we are not growing. It's because of these people that are in these areas that our church is not reaching the people in which we should. And that is the stance of defeat, as a stance that I cannot stand, as a stance of a weak and defeated man. It is a stance of somebody who has been under the attack of the devil day after day after day with nobody to pray over them, to receive them, to draw them forward with no circle. Men, we are the most alone group of people the world has ever seen. You suffer alone all the time. You just think that you can just wear everything and you don't need to talk about anything. You don't need to have a city group. You don't have to have a group of believers. You don't need to, you don't need to meet with your pastor regularly to have him pray for you, to have him lift you up. You're just gonna do it on your own and you're gonna drive your family into the ground. It's not the way, it's not the way we're supposed to do it. It's not the way that it is. And I wish I could deliver a softer message, but God has been, like I said, working on me incredibly. And he's saying, Nico, I, I need you to get this into some people's heads. I need you to carry people forward. Because, here, let me, let me put it, let me, let, me, let, me, let me help spell it out. We've been helping a friend who is on, um, uh, they're on uh, like, uh, like dating apps, okay? All the dating apps, every single one of them. Right, and I get to play, I don't know, looker upper of of guys. Make sure that they're normal, right? That they're not serial killers. The the conversations that I read 
the pictures that I know are sent, the things that are said or not said, or the way that they act, is my, my four-year-old son is a much better man than the average male in society. They're so weak, so defeated, so sexualized. Everything they, everything they do screams weakness. And I'm like, God, that can't be it. That can't be it. And I, I was reading through the Bible, and, and he, he's showing me thing after thing after thing, and I'm, I'm reading it every single morning on my kitchen table, and I'm like, I'm like God, because like in my mind, the depiction of Jesus is always like, like Jesus with the lamb, he's just petting it, he's just, you know, just a good dude, right? He's just hanging out there. But God started to reveal things to me, and he speaks in, in, into my heart via these words, and, he's, and he shows me these things, and he says, look at every single time that I say that the Spirit comes upon a man, and look what happens. Do your own research. Read it. Every single time that the Spirit comes upon a man, it says that he killed a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. Total destruction happens. That he uproots and moves out kingdoms, whole peoples, whole entire generations. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a man, things get done. He doesn't move with fear. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit, which moves him forward. Right? And so what I need you to understand, every person in here, every person online, as a male, you need to carry this with strength, with rigidity, with the ability to take a firm stance. Because if you continue in this current way, you will be destroyed. Your family will be destroyed. Your wife will run away from you. And she'll say, where is the man that I married? This is a little boy. Your children will not look up to you. They'll look for somebody else. They'll say, my father is not who I am called to be. I'm going to follow somebody else. I'm going to follow a different road. And that, to me, would be one of the scariest things to ever hear. And so... I encourage you to be more well-versed in your knowledge of the Bible. Know more about it. Know everything there is in that Bible. It is perfectly created. It is designed, orchestrated, perfected. Every single word, every single dot, every single space in it, it is influenced by the Holy Spirit. There is so much to glean from this book to show you the way of life that you are, you are not reading it. Why? Because it's soft? Because it makes you feel weak? That you depend on somebody else? Why? This is pure strength. This is pure courage. This is where you become a man. And ladies, how many men do you want that don't read the Bible? My goodness, my goodness, my goodness. Like, okay, let me, let me put this up. How many, how many ladies, as, as you, when you grew up as a, as, a, as a little girl, grew up just fantasizing and hoping for this man to sweep you off your feet that was a tax collector, 
where he emailed people all days long, right? Or he, you know, he, he, uh, he pushed paper all day, or he was afraid to take a stance on anything. He didn't want to ruffle any feathers, so he never said anything. How many of you desired a man like that? No. You desired a man to come in on a horse, to ride in, to steal your heart, to earn it, to drive the bad guys out. And so men, that's what we need to be. That's, what we're, that's where we need to live. That's where we will find that we will move society forward is by becoming this. And so I want to leave you with one piece. That I want to leave you with this. That God spoke this to me. And he says, without the authentic authority of Scripture... The desires of your heart will settle for the inauthenticities of the doctrine of demons. And this is what what we see every single day. You have people that aren't led by the Spirit, that don't read their Bible, that when something becomes a desire in their flesh, they want a woman, they want a job, they want money, they want power, that because they are not grounded and rooted in Scripture, they are willing to do, believe, and become anything they need to to get what they feel is a void in their heart. And so they will become and settle for the inauthenticities that are instructed by the doctrine of demons that rule and reign in this moment of life. And so as a man, as a woman, as a church body, we need to depart from being called the apostate church of this time, a church that is okay with sin, a church that is okay with a wishy-washy doctrine, and we need to become people rooted in the principles, the decrees, the philosophy of our one and true only God that is the God above, the God of Jesus, the God of Abraham, that is the one and only. There is nothing more, there is nothing more that you can do to become a better man, a better woman, and a better church. And so, I leave you with that. I, I hope it wasn't too strong. I went way over time. But I, I sit at my kitchen table every single morning like 4.30 ish nobody's up and I just listen to God and every single day he says learn how to be a better man learn how to teach people to be a better man be a father to those who don't have fathers lead be strong take a firm stance and that's what I feel like we need to do as a group of people take a firm stance drive out evil don't stand for it. In your work, in your family, correct in a Jesus kind of way. Don't allow things, people, places to determine your happiness. Speak life into it. Speak the scriptures over it. Pray over everything. If you need help, consult somebody. Come talk to one of the pastors, one of the leaders, any person. And you will find that pure freedom comes from knowing these things. You find that the wrong doctrine will lead you to slavery, and that right doctrine will lead you to 